Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we're going to find out about ways we can help our brains fight back against neurodegenerative disease. Now there's a whole bunch of neurodegenerative diseases out there like Parkinson's, Huntington's, Alzheimer's, you name it. And when you suffer from one of these things, the prognosis is not good because we can't easily detect or treat that. But scientists are working hard to find new ways of detecting and helping patients suffering from these diseases with new and innovative treatments. When it comes to neurological disorders, there's no more devastating a diagnosis than Huntington's disease. Now Huntington's disease is typically an inherited condition passed along genetically, though in some 10% of cases it can be caused as a mutation. And it generally hits people with symptoms beginning between 30 and 50 years of age, and those symptoms gradually worsen over time. But the main result of it is that it kills brain cells. Brain cells basically die off. And the early signs are really subtle symptoms, problems with mood and mental abilities. Then into things like lack of coordination, unsteady gait, and loss of control of easy limbs. As the disease worsens, you get more uncoordinated, jerky body movements, and your physical abilities basically get to the point where it's difficult to walk and even to talk, let alone things obviously ultimately like breathing. Mental abilities also decline at the same time. People get basically into a dementia-like state. And it's pretty devastating a diagnosis because there's really no cure for Huntington's disease. In the later stages, you basically need full-time care. You can give some treatments to try and alleviate the symptoms and improve quality of life, but that's pretty much it. So what can we do to help help people suffering from this disease? Well, it's a very active area of research, like other neurological conditions like Parkinson's and MS. And people have been trying to find a way to understand exactly what is causing all of these cells, these neurons, to die, and why we can monitor and stop that from happening. And to do so, we need to improve our understanding of the brain, and also how to help it maintain or return to normal function. Now, one of the important parts inside your brain and the central nervous system, and to a lesser extent the peripheral nervous system, is not just the neurons hanging out there that build it all up. Yes, they're incredibly important. But another part is the glia, or the glia cells, or in the full name, neuroglia. Now, these are non-neural cells that help make up your central nervous system and your peripheral nervous system. They have a really important job to do. Though they don't conduct like neurons do, they actually do a more important role, and that is they help function and help keep the whole thing ticking over. They're support cells for your neurons. Now, initial estimates were that the glial outnumber neurons by a ratio of about 10 to 1, though there is some debate on how detailed that ratio is, anywhere ranging between 10 to 1 or 1 to 1, but somewhere in the number of of that area. And the important part is that glia cells effectively support your neurons. They do that in a number of ways. They surround the neurons and hold them in place. They supply nutrients and oxygen to the neurons and feeding them and keeping them alive. They also insulate the neurons from each other, which is also an important thing. The last and important part is they help destroy pathogens and remove dead neurons. Now that's interesting because that combined with their role in supporting neurotransmission and making new synaptic connections makes them incredibly important and also potentially dangerous if they get out of control. 
So that's why some researchers from Copenhagen University have been looking into the actual role of these glial cells and how they relate to people suffering from conditions like Huntington's disease. Now these researchers have been trying to map out the role glial cells play in people who are suffering from Huntington's disease. They wrote this all up in a published in the journal Cell Stem Cell. Now what the important part that we're trying to understand is how the glials either fail to work or work over-enthusiastically in the cases of people suffering from these kind of disease. Now, one of the key important parts of this research was trying to understand the role that glial cells play in helping people with Huntington's disease, or, or rather not helping them in some cases. Now, what they found is incredibly important to actually have the glial cells actually reach full maturity and do so in a healthy way. If they fail to do so, you end up with symptoms like what you expect from people suffering from Huntington's disease. Uh, things like behavioural changes as well as ability, inability to have control over motor functions. And this is because if the glial cells don't mature, then they can't support normal neuron activity and synapse functions. Basically, the communication between neurons is impaired and the neurons themselves are less resilient and healthy because their support mechanism, the glial cells, aren't working to the best of their ability. Now, this research team has been trying to piece together and chip away at this area for a long time, um, mostly because, as we said, Huntington's disease has no real cure. But they've been trying to understand, in this case, on a molecular level, what is going on in glial cells that are in a diseased, Huntington's diseased brain. So to do this, researchers studied mice which have been transplanted with human glial cells progenitor cells, which also contained the Huntington gene. So by using progenitor precursor cells, that they could then grow the cells from the stem cells, which means you get to see the full life cycle of development of, and in particular, glial cells with Huntington disease carried inside them. Now, by studying this in mice, you actually get a good idea of what happens when these glial cells don't work. Now, what they saw was that in these glial cells with the Huntington disease, the maturity, the maturing of the glial cells themselves was both delayed and not very good. It was imperfect. Now, what that meant is that one of the most common types of glia in the brain, the astrocytes, they weren't really functioning well, which is a problem because they help communicate and regulate the communication between neurons. Also, there was poor, poor performing myelin, which is another type of glia. Um, this is the insulating fat that surrounds the nerve pathways within the brains, and which normally helps boost the speed of neural communication. So if those cells also don't mature well, well then you see the end result of that being less speedy neural transmission, which just leads to things like jerky motion because your muscles and your brain and your nervous system aren't responding fast enough. Now, what's interesting out of the results here is that the failure of the glial cell maturation seems to be related to not just Huntington's disease, but a lot of other neurodegenerative conditions. So that's good. We now know that glial cells are incredibly important and canaries in the coal mine, so to speak, of helping or helping your brain respond to Huntington's disease or other neurological conditions. But what can you do about it? Well, the team of researchers was led by Goldman, and he's been investigating in particular ways to use glial cells in 2016 outlined a way to transplant them and transplanted healthy glial cells to 
mice suffering from Huntington's disease and sort of moved healthy ones into the diseased ones to try and boost the life expectancy of the mice and alleviate some symptoms, which is an example of a way of trying to go, okay, well, if glials are incredibly important for people suffering from Huntington's disease, such a transplant method may help alleviate symptoms and also just in general help fight back as a kind of treatment. Of course, if there are huge numbers of glial cells inside your brain, full transplants of all of those is probably unlikely. But it does offer a pathway to investigate ways to help boost the health of glial cells as part of a treatment plan. And that is a pretty interesting area because it offers some hope of a way out to help people with such devastating neurological conditions like Huntington's disease. So there's some great work being done out of the University of Hopenhagen's Faculty of Health and Medical Sciences. Great work in particular led by Steve Goldman. Researchers from the Walter and Eliza Hall Research Institute in Melbourne, Australia, have been digging into what's going on inside people's brains suffering from another neurological condition, Parkinson's disease, and how the proteins in our brains can help and hinder the spread of that disease. In particular, maybe some ways we could adapt that to help give people, like the more than 80,000 Australians currently living with Parkinson's disease, more hope of a path of treatment or at least a delay of the onset of some of the more devastating symptoms. Now it all has to do with a particular protein called Parkin that has been implicated several times in the development of Parkinson's disease. Now when you have, in, when you have a certain type of Parkinson's disease, um, so there's a couple of different categories of the disease, but in some types of it you can identify the loss of a particular protein called Parkin. But Parkin has an interesting role in terms of the cellular model. In a healthy brain, Parkin keeps cells alive and decreases the risk of harmful inflammation by helping repair damage to the mitochondria, which are basically the, what supplies your cells with the energy it needs to survive. But the problem is if that mitochondria is damaged, well, then the cell's internal death machinery kicks in. And that's incredibly important. This process is called apoptosis, And that is where the cells basically deconstruct themselves. And that's in particularly useful for unwanted cells or damaged cells. And you might say, well, why would I want cells to die in the first place? Well, the unrestrained growth of cells without death is cancer. So just to keep that in mind, cell death is healthy as long as those cells are being replaced by other healthy cells. The problem is that uh, you can end up in a situation where you actually may not want those cells to die just yet. Now, the Parkin protein helps block cell death by inhibiting another protein called BAK. BAK and another related protein called BAX, uh, basically they get turned on when a cell is damaged, and they begin the process of pulling apart the cell by dismantling the mitochondria, the mechanism by which a cell generates energy that it needs to survive. And what that causes basically is the cell to starve to death. But the problem is, if you have low-level mitochondria damage, then it's possible as well for this 
to trigger inflammation, which would warn other cells that there's potentially danger around. So getting the balance of this warning mechanism and this self-destruct mechanism is incredibly important. Tune it too far one way, well, then it's not particularly helpful. If you just destruct the cell with the first sign of any damage, you don't leave any time for the cell to try and repair itself. In some instances, it might be very recoverable. In others, not. And you do need to trigger an actual deconstruction to let a new cell grow. So Parkin involved in restraining BAK is incredibly important. It does this by tagging BAK with another tiny protein called ubiquitin. Now, what ubiquitin does is it sends a go-slow signal out to the BAK. What that means is that it helps the cell buy time. It says, look, what you okay, there's some damage and you might want to start to deconstruct, but just do it slowly. Don't immediately start blowing up the whole thing. Take it slow. And that's important because with normal Parkin, the BAK gets tagged and the cell death is delayed. The Parkin helps buy time for the cell, allowing the cell to repair itself and respond to the damage. If you don't have Parkin, or you have a faulty variant of Parkin, which is found in patients with early onset Parkinson's disease, then the back BAK is not tagged at all, and then excessive cell death can occur. That means BAK just goes unconstrained and when the first sign of damage just starts destroying all the cells. And this unrestrained cell death may contribute to the large amount of neuronal loss that is found in some forms of Parkinson's disease. So by understanding how cell death and, and inflammation occurs in Parkinson's disease, we get a better idea of how to treat it and what we need to do to help our brains fight back. Now, if you have a drug or a treatment that can help stifle the BAK, which would mimic the effect of healthy functioning Parkin, that, that could helpfully reduce the harmful cell death in the brain. Of course, you have to finally tune that balance because you don't want it to get out of control and prevent any cell death at all because that is still a healthy mechanism. Now, this is some great work being done out of the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute in Melbourne, Australia by PhD student Jonathan Bernardi and Associate Professor Grant Dewson. And it was published in the journal Embo... So another effective way of trying to help give some level of regeneration inside of the brain, if you've suffered from something like a stroke or Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's, comes from an interesting angle. We talked earlier about how glial cells could make up a large portion of your brain, and the estimates vary between 1 to 1 ratio or 10 to 1 ratio between them and neurons. And that makes sense because, as we said, glial cells are the supporters, the supporting cells inside your brain that help neurons function. But inside a glial cell, there's also all the information, all the genes required for that glial cell to be a neuron. But during the generation of that glial cell, they're all deactivated, turned off, silenced, so that the glial focuses on its main job, that is, to do one of the various jobs of supporting the neurons around it. It doesn't need to be a neuron to do that. But that information about how to be a neuron still lies inside that glial cell. Which leads to an interesting question. Would it be possible to activate, turn that 
glial cell into a neuron? And would it be any use if we did so? Now, researchers from Penn State University in the United States, collaborating with the Chinese Academy of Science, led by Dr. Gong Cheng, have been thinking of a new novel approach to gene therapy, which would reprogram existing glial cells, which surround all our neurons, and can, which could be activated when neurons die and turn those glial cells into healthy, functioning neuron cells to replace those cells that have died around them. And if you've suffered from a brain injury, like a stroke or a neurological disorder like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's or Huntington's disease, then this could be a very, very important way to help you regenerate your neurons in a healthy way. And this research was recently presented at the annual meeting of the Society for Neuroscience in San Diego. Now, one of the problems with diseases like stroke, Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's is that we don't have many effective treatments. We basically have to help the brain recover on its own. And neuronal loss is a common element amongst all of those. So if you could find a way to target particularly area neuronal loss in the brain and spinal cord, if you could find a way to keep those cells alive or regenerate them and keep those signal pathways open, then you could really help fight back a lot of these against these neurodegenerative disorders. The problem, as we talked about before, glial transplant is possible, but that requires you transplanting a lot of brain content, as we talked about. That's a huge potential number. So not really feasible. And you can't do the same with neurons as well. But what if you could find a way to boost those existing neurons and glial cells and basically help them regenerate? And that's what Professor Chen has been focusing on. His team and them created a new cell conversion technology called NeuroD1. It's a, basically a neural transcription factor, that, that a protein that will activate the neuron genes and silence the glial genes. So turning a glial cell into a neuron by basically changing which parts of the DNA are active or not active. And that's pretty exciting because by, by injecting that protein, it can go bind to a glial cell and force the conversion to happen. Now that's exciting because it's a pretty efficient and economical way of kicking off internal neuroregeneration without having to transplant in external cells, especially because it can be so abundant. Now, in animal studies, Chen and the team were able to use this as a pretty good way of helping regenerate cells in mice models. The interesting part about it is that when you have a disease like Alzheimer's or a, or a stroke, typically you actually only have damage in a certain area of the brain, and that brain function will decline and decline over time. So if you could target the regeneration, that would also be pretty effective because now you could actually cause the regeneration to only happen in certain areas, which would be good, but also means that you can really fight back against exactly where the problems are occurring. Now, when they did this testing in the mice models, they were able to not only regenerate with the neurons with this technique, but they were also, because of that regeneration, able to restore lost motor and cognitive functions, which is incredible when you think about it because they are effectively regrowing the cells that were damaged or lost as part of that disorder or stroke. So this is a really interesting approach to try and repair using the materials around your neurons, the glial cell. Of course, you have to balance the cost of losing those glial cells, but the neurons might be damaged, but the glial cells might be healthy. So you may be able to do that repair. This is some great work and shows how innovative we have to be to think about our approaches to treating diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Because we don't have an effective treatment at the moment. It's going to take some pretty radical thinking, like transforming a glial cell into a neuron in order to get us to effective treatments. This is some great work out of Penn State University and the Chinese Academy of Sciences. 
This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From poor performing glial cells to turning glial cells into a way to fight back against diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, as well as understanding ways we can help better detect and diagnose issues in people's brains. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.